That's a pretty solid clap. So I got some good feedback from our last episode in sharing non-technical stories. Uh, also, like the fire ant thing, some people I thought they thought was funny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the spider thing. My dad actually texted me. He was like, who was the babysitter? It's like, that was a long time ago. It's not, not an issue. I, uh, I always worry about that whenever we talk about non-tech stuff. I, and we, we've talked about talking about non-tech stuff and how we worry about it, but it really never does seem to be an issue. No, no. I don't, at least the people that get mad about it don't talk, say anything about it, which is well, okay by me. They can be mad. They can be mad about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a good week, though, I thought. I felt like, so I, a few weeks ago, I think I talked about a major refactor that I was doing and uh, finished that put it in development you and i've been using it and nothing's gone crazy wrong so that feels good yeah not not only has nothing gone crazy wrong but i've been using it and it it's a pretty big change like it really affects how you write code in the in the repo day to day mm-hmm. uh and it's been all for the better for me so far it's much much simpler to find where things are because they're all of all of the related things are just in one spot all of our schema files are just in one spot and i know exactly where to go to get them and it's like it's just all there and all centralized it's really yeah pretty nice and also the exact opposite of of what we were saying seemed pretty cool a few months ago so what's interesting was that there was a window where that was pretty cool and the window was very narrow (laughs) 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 uh because yeah, because porting the Rails stuff over, there were some problems that that solved, moving things out, like not having one giant class. Uh, and I keep harping on that. I know it's not good Rails practice. It's just what I was dealing with at the time. And so like splitting, okay, so if someone's not familiar in in, in the Rails, you might have like a product class and that's where all of the relationships are defined. That's where like all of that class methods are defined uh, unless you adopt another pattern. And so I was moving that over and it becomes hard to manage different because there's varying states of a product. So what happens when uh, it gets confusing when you have a hundred methods in there and it's not clear, you know, which state they operate on and all that stuff. I was like, okay, well let me split this up into all the different states. (laughs) And that's what I did. And it worked pretty okay until there were two of us and we had to move a little quicker and it, it, the service area grew really wide and it was hard to change things, but also it was hard to miss things. So if you're changing, um, let's say, for example, we're adding a virtual field. So like, let's say when a user is viewing a product, that product should always have location information, like how far that product is from that user. Well, it's not stored in the database. That's a virtual field that's added uh, when the product is fetched. Uh, so if you forget to specify that uh that virtual field in a schema, but you try to use it, of course, things are going to go wrong. It's going to break. Uh, and so we were running into situations like that where we're just forgetting things or not, you know, it's not like a, a thing of like moving to it quickly or like not being thorough enough. It's just that the service area is so wide. It was, you, you just are going to miss things. Right. Well, and I, I mean, better test coverage would have helped with that, at least in some cases. But I think, I think overall, yeah, it was just causing a lot of confusion, especially for me being new to the code base and not knowing necessarily where where the right schema lived for me to use in a given 
context yeah, for a given yeah. scenario. Uh, but so so we have all of the actual definitions of the schema centralized now, and it's dk.data.whatever.order.product, which has been great. But what I really like is that it's, it's, it's still a balance. Because in the context themselves, we still have... The, the the queries related to performing a certain set of actions or like mm-hmm. just just methods for dealing with a, a product in a certain type of way that a store manager might need to or it's a certain type of way that a user browsing the store might need to um, right. and and so the the actual the actual like logic and and how things are fetched from the database and like what relationships are, are preloaded and all that is still kind of defined in separately in for each individual context but we just have like that that one source of truth of like hey here's here's what this table looks like basically it's kind of like uh it's kind of like the the data namespace is like our our pantry and that's where all the cookies are they're in the pantry and instead of just having one door to the pantry we just we have several doors and the doors have their own passwords so if you want to work if you want to get cookies or if you want to get a certain type of cookie you have to go through the right door and that door returns you the the proper cookie that you want so basically there's not like lots of there's not lots of things flying through one one highway. You you take the designated road to get what you want, or the designated door to get to the the ingredient that you want from the pantry, kind of. So it's almost like, it's, I mean, we we talk a lot about like people talk a lot about like scopes and things like that, and how global scopes are bad, right? And in a sense, these these queries that we have, uh, they're not they're not defined once. So like even though we have the data, like the the mapping to the database tables in in one place, and that's in the schema files, um, the actual getting of that data happens within the context. So if you're working on uh, managing a product, that like the management specific functions and management specific queries are all together, and they're separate from um, the browsing specific queries and functions. Which I like, I quite like that because it, it's there, there's less confusion there. The tests are much more focused, I think. So when you're looking at the test for the manage um, namespace or the manage context, that's you know there's not like other other concerns kind of happening there it's very specific so that that's actually kind of something i've been thinking about lately is i guess separation of concerns and and kind of reframing how i think about separation of concerns because i i think a lot of times historically when people have talked about that they'll use like html css and javascript as an example mm-hmm. and and as i think the community as a whole has kind of learned over the last handful of years here that's maybe not necessarily a such a good idea or b really the right separation of concerns the right separation of concerns there is like i'm we're doing like everything in components now in view components and that's a single mm-hmm. file with html css and javascript all dedicated to performing a certain action or displaying a certain thing or it, it, but that is the concern. Uh, the concern yeah. itself is what the component is doing, not the individual parts that make up the component, the language parts. That's just an implementation detail. Right, and so right. really, that, that that's that applies, I think, to Elixir as well. Is that like it, it's really a separation of concerns, and the separation of concerns isn't isn't necessarily what you think it is. It's not necessarily so much about the programming language. It's more about what you're trying to achieve and having related functionality grouped in a sensible way. And I, I, I that's how I'm trying to think about separation of concerns now more. Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, it's been extremely, extremely helpful. That's and interesting. I, I think yeah. components are one of the one of the great examples of this because that, that was such a, a dramatic shift of the way people th- thought about HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and how, how they should work together and where they should go and all that. 
And yeah, I, I just think I just think it's kind of kind of interesting how dramatically that's changed in just a couple of years. Was so what's funny is that 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 example never dawned on me, or it didn't dawn on me until you just said it. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense because you're talking about like okay, so if you look at like a view component where everything's contained, you have the styles there, uh, you have the template, and then you have the the actual you know view component object cl- class whatever. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm having trouble right now. Uh, yeah, so it's all it's all contained right there. So when I started thinking about how like Phoenix organizes things into context, they use like the bounded uh, API example of grouping uh, domains, business domains into a namespace. Uh, so like we have marketplace and we have orders and we have like marketplace being products and sales and orders being you know um, carts and actual orders and stuff. But when you think about how we're doing the the structuring of things. Uh, if we look at, you know, we have, instead of having our change sets, like a lot of people just have change sets in their schema file. Uh, so they would have a bunch of different change set functions inside of like dk.data.product. Uh, instead, each of our contacts, like marketplace and orders, we have orders.change sets or marketplace.change sets. Um, and we also have marketplace.queries and orders.queries. And it's, it's weird now that you say that I look at that almost like a component. So the the actual context might be like the view class, like export default object. And the styling might be like the queries uh, module. And, you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because it, that's really kind of how things are set up. And the thing, so like a friend of the show, uh, now a reinstated friend of the show, Rockwell, he's been, <laughs> I had to get that in there for Crichton. Um, he's been working on Vue lately. So he's kind of like slowly moving away from React into Vue. And the thing I keep saying to him is like, Vue, there's a there's a place for everything and everything goes in its place. Uh, and that's that's one thing that I really like about it. And it feels like that's how Design Collective is shaping up on in terms of like the Elixir side of things, how it's being designed. Queries go in here or your scopes go in here. Your, um, your actual like getters and setters go in this module. Um, there's, there's, there's just, uh, the place for pretty much any operation you need to, to do. Yeah. That's, that's something that is true of the whole view ecosystem and something with Nuxt in particular, which we're, we're semi working on moving towards with design collective Mm -hmm. uh, is that there, there is always like a nice way to do things that doesn't feel hacky. That doesn't feel janky at all. And it just, it just looks and works good. And I, I think that's such a that's such a powerful thing. And one of the things that I really, really love about Vue is yeah, just elegant. Yeah. It's just yeah, it's just nice. It's just nice. You don't need a whole like if you need state management, you can toss Vuex in there, which is again a really simple, just simple thing. Um you don't really need any extra stuff. You don't have to like you don't find yourself I never find myself leeching for all these different libraries to augment Vue itself. To, to kind and of, not to say that there aren't great plugins because we're, yeah, we're using yeah. a ton of awesome great we're using a ton of awesome great redundant plugins yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what I do feel that that separation of concerns lets me do is really just focus more on the business logic it's not separating mm-hmm. things by arbitrary HTML CSS JavaScript and this is this is the programming language so I have to divide them up into different files it's just dividing things based on on the actual concern, and the actual concern is the business logic and what it allows your users to do. In our case, stores or customers. Right. Yeah. And and like how that translates to Elixir is interesting for me, or how I translated related it to Elixir is interesting because I have I still have thoughts on both sides of that. Uh, so like the idea of 
having like a marketplace where you can have a namespace where you're like browsing products and the managing products that works really well. But then if you have like another namespace like controller and that controller also has products and stores in it with functions, that's kind of where I'm wondering, should that just be inside a marketplace? Because having that control panel namespace is more like an ACL issue. It's more like, okay, well, these are God mode only admin kind of functions in here. And so instead of having to write a bunch of tests and functions to verify that whoever's acting on this product has the um, permission to, uh, just like remove that altogether from the base marketplace module and put it somewhere else. So that way someone couldn't accidentally use a function from the marketplace browse that's destructive, you know? So I still like teeter on the fence about that kind of separation as well like using a module namespace kind of moves the service. It almost like doesn't double the service area, but it makes the service area for working with products and stores bigger because now there's a manage area and there's a control panel area. Um, right. And I, I think there's pluses and minuses to both. Like you were saying, we're both still in the learning process with all this stuff, I feel like. And it, just like we made this change or you made this change uh, of, of removing all the duplicated schemas and consolidating that down to DK data, I feel like we're going to keep learning what works and what doesn't work and and moving forward. And that's one of the things that I'm really loving about Elixir so far is that it makes those kind of refactors that could be really daunting in other languages. It makes them it makes them really modular and easy. Uh, it's it's very simple to to leave code in place while you build new stuff out and gradually transition things over to it. And I think we've talked about this on the show before, but that that is really holding true, especially seeing you do this uh, this this DK data upgrade change that that seems to be a very effective pattern just just being able to look at things and say okay this is working or this isn't working and if it's not working i i can have a clear path toward getting it working Mm -hmm. or at least getting it working better that's yeah that's i i mean i remember mentioning to you a lot like maybe it was even last year or maybe like when i first started with Design Collective, I was like, well, there's a lot of stuff I don't know, but the only way to learn it is by doing it and uh, making a mistake and then correcting that mistake. And that's it's interesting to like look back at um, those learnings from having done something and then having refactored it away from that. Uh, I think, I mean, like, because there's, there's certain things you can only learn by experience, right? And maybe some of these things I could learn via mentorship if I was working at a big company or working with more people, but... I don't know. Like the the learnings that we've we've been having now, I, I like the most because it's very personal and very specific to what we're building and working on. And I'm pretty happy. Uh, like you're saying, I'm pretty happy with how the refactor turned out because uh, it allows you to move faster, which means that I'm doing my job well because I'm empowering you to do your job well. <laughs> so that's our, you know, that's already a win. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, like this, like I said, this it's been a good week. There's been a lot of view learning too. Uh, for me this past week. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, Mr. Chris Fritz from the View community because I DM him all day long on Twitter and he just answers my questions. <laughs> and I send him gists and then he breaks down my gists and then he you know he plays devil's advocate. And so I've learned a ton about View and about building reusable components and um, and uh, just building things in a in a sustainable manner and a, a main more importantly I guess maintainable manner, which is great because I don't have a ton of experience with open source, you know. So 
he's got a whole other, another realm of knowledge. Like, well, if you write it like this, then if you were to release this, then you might get a number of issues because of this thing, this, this very specific reason, for example. Yeah, I, I love the focus that we're putting on reusable reusable things and maintainable things. Um, we've we've been talking about this kind of internally at Design Collective just from some various discussions over the last week or two. But we're at that stage right now where we, we had we have a product that was built out as an MVP and with all of the uh, shortcuts that that kind of <laughs> tends to that, that, that kind of tends to imply yeah, right yeah. that's a kind so of word. we we have this thing that was that was built out and it, it works for the most part it does it does what it needs to do but what we're what we really need to do now is take it from this MVP we know we have pretty good product market fit like we have stores coming on people are loving the platform and it's it's awesome that's that's great but if we want to grow this for for three years five years ten years you know that's that's something that we really we really need to focus on we really need to focus on that that reusability and that maintainability we need to actually build something take it from the mvp and make it into a code base that we can grow and maintain long term and i yeah. th- i think that that mindset is so so important at this stage because it's really easy to shoot yourself in the foot and end up yeah. with something that just every change you make it, it breaks other things and is really difficult to debug, takes a long time, all, all that stuff. And you can end up with that for years and years and years very easily if you're not careful. Yeah, yeah. It's It's been, we've been lucky to be able to pivot and move some of the stuff that we have been. So like pitching to my boss, like this is why I think we should adopt this technology. And then her understanding that, yeah, that's, you know, like those are valid reasons and allowing that to happen, like putting some features on pause or, or kind of like slowing the pace down to kind of pivot on some stuff. Uh, so I, you know, I think part of it is, is that, but I, I, th- I really start to, th- I'm starting to feel like we're hitting our stride between with Elixir. I mean, like, so you're pretty productive with it already. Like, I don't know if that you, you would think so, but it seems to me that you're, I mean, you're shipping features. So it seems like you're productive with it. Uh, and the cool thing is like, this is something that I've been seeing happening a lot is like you and I'll talk about something. And then we might have this like initial idea and then the actual solution becomes a lot simpler than the original idea. Uh, so I think a good example would be we were talking about a state, a state machine recently transitioning. So like orders have different states and, and a store owner needs to be able to notify a customer what state that order is in, whether it's been shipped, whether it's in processing, whether it's ready for pickup, et cetera. And so we were try, just like brainstorming, like how do we handle the various pieces of state and making sure that... Uh, the transformations that get applied are correct and um, can't be, you know, like just jacked up. And so like the idea was, oh, we could use a state machine because that's what that's for is holding various pieces of states in the path from A to B and B to C and C to D. Uh, but really, instead of like, you know, we looked at a couple of different libraries, but instead of adopting a new library, you just decided to write a few functions. <laughs> Yeah, I literally just ended up writing functions for this, and I'm I'm super happy with how this pattern worked out. Uh, I just have a bunch of transition status methods, and they take a struct, which is we, we it's internally called an order shipment. So an order can be from multiple stores, and uh, there's a bunch of different stuff that can mean there's more than one order shipment for a single order. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you pass in the order shipment, and then it just it just pattern matches. Man, pattern matching! Oh my mm-hmm. goodness. Mm-hmm. It pattern matches based on the order shipment, so it checks the status. And if it has, for example, status ready for pickup and preference of pickup, then the second the second argument you pass is just an atom of complete, which is the status I want to transition to. And then that'll only that'll always only just match 
an order shipment that is currently ready for pickup and has a preferences pickup as opposed to shipped, and it's going to be moved to complete. So then it goes through, it does the change set, updates timestamps, all that, uh, sends out an email if it needs to. But if, if you pass mm. it some sort of invalid order shipment, if you pass one that is status complete, preference pickup, the pattern match just won't fire. And so you'll just get, you just get an error. Right. So and, you, and so it's yeah. it's completely foolproof, and it's it's basically I'm I'm super happy with it as a as a really basic state machine implementation. Each state transition just gets its own function definition, and then you're done. And then you just inside <laughs> that body, you just do whatever you need to do to actually move it between those two states. Yeah, it's very simple. Like it's, it's simple, you know. Uh, and it covers all the bases of only being able to call a function. Like if you call a function, you either need to have the correct you know, arguments. Otherwise, like you said, you might default to a no-op or something or returning an error. So you can't accidentally uh, change state to an invalid uh, state because there's not a function that accepts those arguments. Yeah, it just can't. Yeah. It, there's just no path for it to actually yeah. do that. It's it's fantastic. It's inherently yeah. safe. And then the idea that, uh, you know, you're the first argument to the order shipment struct. So the idea that all the functions take the order shipment first. If you're always returning an order shipment, you could pipe... I don't know. I mean, you wouldn't. You probably wouldn't do this, but you could incrementally transform it. So, like, let's say that going from pending to uh, processing fires off an email, and then processing to complete fires off a second email. So, what if um, there is an option for a store to acknowledge that it's been completely done, and you, you still need to fire off those all those those um, those notifications? I mean, you could just call call the two components separately, or you can just pipe them through, uh, pipe everything through, or you could just pipe and order shipment through the pipe through all the functions. And those would all just trigger the effects that they need to. And it's just super elegant. It's easy. Pipelines and pattern matching alone have kind of just transformed the way I look at a lot of programming problems. Could you say that? Yeah. But could you also say that um, com like combined with pipelines and functions, not having instances of things and not having like instance methods on things. You remove that from the equation and then you add in pipes and pattern matching. I think removing that from the equation for me was a huge thing. And then just giving me these two tools I just use for everything. Like those, that was like the combination that helped a bunch of things click for me. Yeah. I, it, it's interesting. I thought that was going to be a bigger deal for me than no, the no state or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, honestly, in practice, that hasn't seemed super different. It, has, it hasn't felt super different to me, just because the the syntax feels more different, and that that's the part I'm is that's just more visible to me and how my brain works, I guess. Sure. But I, I I totally I totally get what you're saying. But to me, that hasn't that hasn't been as revolutionary to my brain as as the <laughs> pattern matching and the pipes have. Pattern yeah. matching is just ridiculous. Like it, it makes function definitions just so powerful. Yeah, it's cool. It, it it's so cool. It removes then, so many conditionals and branching logic and and all that stuff, and you just you you wind up with really concise functions that do one very specific thing and that can be composed together very easily. Ah, oh, it's great. It's great, man. Elixir. I mean, it's it's like it's like yeah, it's like your functions go from being a Swiss Army knife to just individual knives. Right, right. Individual, very, very highly sharpened knives yeah yeah so i was laying in bed this morning and uh looking at twitter and i saw some tweets about a new proposal for um pattern matching in javascript uh so that's cool uh the syntax was a little interesting um but 
it's cool to see that there's like, I haven't really come across any comments where people are like, we don't want this. Yeah, it's, man, I would, I would not complain if pattern matching made its way to ECMAScript, JavaScript. Yeah, pipelines and uh, really it's just those, those two things that I've seen been seeing. There's already, I think there's about. already a proposal for pipelines, right? Yeah. yeah I'm pretty is. sure in ES 20 something or other. So yeah, ES 2K edition. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it'd be really cool to have that, but I don't know what it, I just, I'm just happy with the tools that I have. Maybe that's what it is. I feel productive and maybe because I feel productive and I'm happy with them, maybe that's like my, I'm more apt to spend more time learning about that. And I go deeper down the route trail, which makes me more productive. I think up until this point, I've always kind of had like the grass is greener feeling, if, which is maybe a cop out, <laughs> but uh, I don't have that right now. And I'm feeling very productive and happy with the tools. So now, now I'm spending like zero time on trying to learn Elixir. And now I'm like, okay, how do I build a good application? How do I make this usable for people? So now I'm focusing on the other parts of it. So I can try to figure out, okay, how do I design things again? How do I make usable things? What's the, what are the UX implications of this component? How can I make this component? You know, so now it's more towards like moving into, uh, building reusable UIs, which is something that I haven't really had uh, to do in view yet. So I don't know, it's it's cool to like see my learning and my interest naturally shifting from something that seemed like such a big thing that I didn't know that I was going to be able to, to tackle fully and um, kind of get beyond that point and then have them naturally move to something else. Yeah, it feels good to love your tools. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I went, uh, I didn't work on DK this weekend, but I worked on B-Think some yesterday and it's cool because it's a side project and normally that's when you're like, I, maybe I should try this thing out. And I have zero interest in trying any other tools out. <laughs> I'm just using Elixir and, and view. Oh man, we got to get, we got to get over to Nuxt, Sean. I know. It's got to happen. I'm using Nuxt. I'm using Nuxt for B-Think and it's pretty awesome. It's so good. It's so good. I used, uh, uh, Friend of the best friend of the show now. He's the top best friend now, uh, Chris Fritz. I used some tips that he gave in a talk <laughs> for uh, like globally registering some of your components. So like I have, uh, I have. So BeThink is my like way to learn about constructing reusable UI pieces in components. And so I have some layout components like a layout wrapper, which controls the layout width and the centering and stuff. Um, and I don't want to have to import that into every place that uses it. So um, he has a snippet of code where you actually can programmatically um, just import an entire folder of components given they're named properly or like named a certain way. Uh, and it just globally renders them, registers them into view. And I was like, okay, well, I could do that with Nux or I could just make a plugin and just import those there. And then they're available. <laughs> So I refactored like the entire CSS um, and like container grid system into just a f several components that are registered for every component to use and inside Nuxt in one file. And it was pretty glorious. Hey, you're, you're actually starting on some of this stuff with global components a little bit for design collective for like inputs yep. and that sort of thing. Input masking. Uh, which I'm, yeah, I'm very, I'm very interested to see how that ends up. I think that'll be kind of one of our that'll be sort of like a big deal for us in in a similar way for the front end as the schema updates were for the back end, I think. Yes. I've learned a few new tricks again from bestest best friend of the show, Chris Fritz. Uh, he's just going to keep going up as he keeps answering my questions. His stock is going to increase. 
But uh, no, like learning a few, I learned like two things. So, okay. So if you're in v- into view and you haven't read the docs in the last two months, you should go reread them because it's so full of new, like it's just full of new stuff, new tips, better tips. The community, like they've been killing it uh, in terms of documentary, uh, writing documentation. So Chris and Sarah, everyone else has been doing it. Like I applaud them. I learned so <laughs> I learned so many new things. Uh, and even Rockwell was like, hey, do you know what this is? Like, I did not know about that. And so I went through and started reading and I, so I learned about like being able to use VBind on listeners. And so that way you can automatically inherit um, any sort of listeners on the parent component. So that way I, my, my currency wrapper, my currency input wrapper, I just use uh, dollar sign listeners of VBind that. So that way in the parent, when you're using it, you can just use VModel and uh, things just work how you expect. Right, you get you get like a transparent component. So when you yeah. use your input wrapper, it, it you can just add all the same props and listeners and whatever as you would on just a normal HTML input. And they automatically pass through. And also, you can use dollar sign adders, so that way you don't have to re um, you don't have to. So if you're wrapping a number input, you don't have to make props for every attribute that a number input has or supports. Uh, it just automatically passes them through and sets them up, which is amazing. Oh, it's a good time to be a developer, I feel like. Developer ergonomics have never been better, despite yeah. despite um, what you might hear or see on medium.com. Mm, I avoid that <laughs> website. There's some good stuff on it, sometimes. <laughs>